We'll go ahead and take your Bibles and turn back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, where we find the most complete uh, account of the Lord's Prayer. And all of the songs that we've sung tonight have, I trust, been used by the Lord to prepare our hearts to, to consider this second phrase here, hallowed be your name. But let's read it in its context, and we'll just read the entire prayer, starting in verse 9, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Holy Father, we do beg you now to send us your Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds, to understand what uh, this prayer means and how it applies to our lives, that we would be able to talk more um, rightly before you, to carry on a more uh, pleasing conversation to you, one that honors you and glorifies you more. And so, Lord, we pray you help us now to learn all that you want us to learn so we can be all you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, those of you who are Shakespeare fans will be very familiar with the act two, scene two of Romeo and Juliet, where he makes that memorable statement, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. The point of Romeo's rhetorical question there is that a rose would smell just as good even if it was named a yo-yo or a pickle. A rose is sweet, not because of its name, because somebody named it a rose, but because it's, it's, it's sweet. And yet no one can deny the importance of names. Names mean something. And in some cases, they mean everything. Everyone and everything has a name. Without names, we couldn't recognize or categorize anyone or anything. Names allow us to distinguish one person from another or one thing from another. Names are what set everyone and everything apart from everyone and everything else. And so consequently, it's impossible to separate a name from who or what someone or something is. We, we all associate certain ideas or attitudes or opinions or emotions uh, or characteristics with someone or something's name. I just want to read for you a, a few names, and I want you to think of the associations that immediately come into your mind when you hear these names. Judas, Adolf Hitler, Pearl Harbor. 9-11, the Alamo, BMW, Ferrari, Rolex, Ritz-Carlton, Walmart, Charles Manson, Bill Clinton, Saddam Hussein, Lance Armstrong, Tiger Woods, 
Roger Clemens, the Dallas Cowboys. See, the way we react to these famous names has to do with their reputation. And and their reputation is wrapped up in their name. All these places, all these people, all these events, all these companies, all these teams have certain reputations, either good reputations or bad reputations. Their names mean something to us, and they stand for something in our minds. And in many cases, these names are so vital to who they are as a person or as a team or as a company, is they even have a trademark. They trademark their name which gives them exclusive rights to that name. And the purpose of a trademark is to officially distinguish a company or product from the competition and to legally protect their name and reputation from being misused. And federal law, as you know, provides severe civil and criminal penalties for the the unauthorized use of copyrighted or trademarked names and products. What that means is if we use a particular name for something other than what it was intended... You're going to get in big trouble for infringing on that company or that person's reputation. Now, I think it's interesting when you apply all this to God, the fact that the top 10 laws that God established for mankind included one, regulating the use of his name. Of course, it's the third commandment, right? Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. And so the third commandment is like a divine trademark or copyright that gives God exclusive rights to his name. And God gave this command to protect his name from unauthorized use. And he wanted everyone to know that they would be in big trouble if they misused his name and in doing so, infringe on his reputation. And so the third commandment shows that God puts a high premium on his name that it would be honored and not profaned. That is just one example in the scriptures of how God emphasized the importance of of always glorifying and magnifying his name. Just listen to uh, this, this grocery list of verses that all emphasize the importance of God's name. Psalm 8, 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 22, 29, 2, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Psalm 66, 2, sing the glory of his name. Psalm 99.3, let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. Psalm 103, verse 1, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Psalm 111, verse 9, I love this, holy and awesome is his name. Psalm 135, verse 3, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to his name, for it is lovely. Psalm 138, verse 2, you have exalted above all things your name and your word. He has put his word, the Bible, and his name on equal footing before the the Lord. Psalm 135, verse 13, your name, O Lord, endures forever. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 4, make them remember that his name is exalted. One of my favorites, Isaiah 48, 11, for my own sake, for my own sake, I will act for how can my name be profaned? And then just a, a, a profound passage in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 20 to 23, 
Listen to how God talks about redeeming Israel, the nation of Israel, from captivity, all for the sake of his name. Ezekiel 36, verse 20. He says, when they came to the nations where they went, talking about the nation of Israel or Judah going to uh, captivity, they profane my holy name because it was said of them, these are the people of the Lord, yet they come out of this land. In other words, these are God's people and, and God kicked them out of their own land and sent them over here. Verse 21, but I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord declares the Lord God when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. And so God is constantly working to vindicate the holiness, holiness of his great name. Malachi chapter 1 verse 12 says, From the rising of the sun even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So God just says, listen, my name's going to be made great one way or the other. I am committed. I am passionate to make my name great. And that, with all that Old Testament background, we come to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, when Jesus said, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your what? Name. And I think we need to, we need to hear that phrase, hallowed be your name, with all of that Old Testament imported into that meaning of your name. Holy is the name of the Lord. Now we mentioned in the last several sessions together, that the Lord's Prayer was intended to be an example of the kind of conversation that a believer should have with God in prayer. And we shouldn't view this as simply a, 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 a beautiful prayer to recite now and then. We should consider the Lord's Prayer as a model, as a guide or a pattern to teach us what to pray and how to pray. And it just contains some, some basic elements that should be included in our prayers. It tells us the proper priorities and the proper perspectives and the proper petitions that we should have. And I gave you an outline last time, and if you forgot, George, or never got one, they're in the back table that back there that you can pick one up right now or you can pick it up as you leave. But basically, I, I wanted to give you a big picture of the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to take each one of these phrases one at a time and, and last week we said that, that our Father who's in heaven is all about accessing God's presence. Tonight, hallowed be your name, is about revering God's person. Uh, your kingdom come is about pleading for God's program. Submit, uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is submitting to God's plans and purposes. Uh, give us this day our daily bread is depending on God's provision. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. It's seeking God's pardon. And then do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil is re requesting God's protection. And then finally, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Is praising God's preeminence. But, but I, I, I outlined this prayer very deliberately and intentionally 
to emphasize that this prayer is all about who? It's all about God. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about God. Every one of these petitions, every one of these requests focuses on God. And last time, we looked at the opening line of the Lord's Prayer, uh, where it says, pray then in this way, our Father who's in heaven. And, And we said that this establishes here both the means of approaching God and the mindset that we should have when we approach God. When we pray, we should address God as our Heavenly Father. That is always how Jesus, and I mean always how Jesus, addressed his Father, addressed God. He always said, Father, except for that one time on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because at that moment, he, his relationship with his Father in that moment of time was severed as he took the, the blame, the shame, the punishment, the penalty, becoming sin for us. And so that's how Jesus always prayed, was Father. And so we need to pray. We need, when we talk to God, we should address God as Father, Heavenly Father. And we also should imagine ourselves as a little kid joyfully and confidently climbing up onto the lap of our loving, caring, patient, gracious Father who is so glad to see us and can't wait to hear what we have to say and grant us our request. That is the mindset that we should have when we come to the Lord in prayer. And yet even though we who have been adopted into God's family through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, and, 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 and even though we have the distinct privilege of calling God Daddy, Papa, Abba, Father, as we were reminded about tonight, we never want to become so intimate with God that we become irreverent. This is very important. Yes, we can be very intimate with God. He's our daddy, if you will. But that should never lead us to irreverence. While he is our father, we need to keep in mind that he is at the same time the holy God of the universe who is described in Scripture as a consuming fire. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and Hebrews 12. And so lest we approach God too casually or too comfortably, Jesus made sure here to emphasize, really right on the heels of this, our Father who's in heaven, this this sample prayer here, he's, he's emphasizing here the necessity of focusing on God's holiness and honoring God's holiness. Last night we were sitting in our living room and we were all kind of doing our own thing and getting some homework done and getting some emails answered and we're just all kind of hanging out and it's kind of interesting now. Our kids are a little older and so they're all kind of sitting there in the living room with the laptops on their lap and they're doing their homework and we're all doing our thing. And uh, something happened and, and uh, I had uh, needed to correct Hannah and, and uh, she just got up and she said, chill, Dad. <laughs> and I about came out of my skin and I said, Time out. Don't you ever talk to me like that again. I am not one of your buddies. I'm your dad. Okay? I'm your father. And and, and you need to honor me in the way you talk to me. Now, thankfully, that's a few and far between kind of scenario. But I I, I was thinking about that today and and, and how, how we do the same thing at times with God, that we sometimes, and some people very, I think, very um, uh, uh, disrespectfully kind of 
view God as their buddy, right? And here we come. We're just going to come in and talk to our buddy. Well, God isn't our buddy, okay? God is our, our heavenly Father, but he is also the holy God of the universe. And I really think that is the essence of this phrase here, hallowed be your name, that you, we need to honor our Father in the way that we talk to him. And really, this is the first thing that Jesus taught the disciples to pray. In other words, this is is the first thing that should come out of our mouths whenever we come into the presence of God. Obviously, the first thing is Father, right? Our Heavenly Father as our introduction to prayer, the the, the salutation there. But the very first thing that should come out of our mouth after we uh, announce ourselves in God's presence is, is is this praising God for His holiness, And so the starting point for prayer is honoring and glorifying the name of God by praising and thanking Him for who He is and what He's done. Our prayers should always begin and end with God. Notice the prayer begins, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And notice how the ending, verse 13, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So the Lord's Prayer begins and ends with God. So again, a great reminder, prayer is not about our needs, but about God's glory. That is so important that we have that established in our mind and heart. Prayer is not about our needs. It is all about God's glory. And and again, notice the order here in this prayer. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So you have your, 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 us, us, us. In other words, God's glory comes first and our needs come second. And then too many times I think we rush into God's presence and just start asking for stuff. Prayer, prayer is really nothing more than, than getting what we want. And I, I, I personally, as a, as a dad, okay, when my kids come in, maybe if I'm in my study or, or sitting there doing something, they come in and the first thing out of their mouth is, hey, dad, can I have this, right? And they haven't even said, hey, dad, how's it going? Good to see you. I missed you. I haven't seen you for a while. You know, I mean, I, I like that when they come in and they start, and they just kind of talk a little bit and we have a relationship. It's, I'm just not the, the sugar daddy, right? That I'm just there to get what they want. But there's actually a relationship there that they're trying to cultivate. And so what Jesus was, was teaching here that, that we need to put God's interest above our own personal interests. Rather than being preoccupied with what we want, we need to be preoccupied with what God wants. And what does God want more than anything else? God wants glory. God is, if I could say it this way, it sounds sinful when it's applied to mankind, but he's a glory hound. He wants glory, and it's right for him. He's the only person in the universe who can show off and be okay because he's God. And so he wants glory. And so we need to be way more passionate in prayer about what he wants than what we want. Our number one priority in prayer shouldn't be making a name for ourselves or building our kingdom or getting our will done. Our main concern should be for the fame of his name and the advancement of his kingdom and for his will to be done. 
And so these, these first three petitions here, uh, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, they're all about God getting glory and honor, which is way more important than us getting anything. Andrew Murray, in his classic little book called uh, With Christ in the School of Prayer, he says, the sooner we learn to forget ourselves so that he may be glorified, the richer our blessing in prayer will be. Isn't that good? The sooner we learn to forget ourselves so that he may be glorified, the richer our own blessing in prayer will be. And that's really what Jesus goes on to say uh, later on in this chapter. Very familiar verse. Look, look down to verse 33. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. You have this verse memorized. It says, but seek first, what? His kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. And of course, the context there is, is, is the you know, wondering about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, right? These are the things that the world worries about. He says, hey, don't worry about those things. Listen, you just seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to, added to you. In other words, you put God first in your life. You focus on glorifying and honoring him and living a right life, uh, a righteous life. And guess what? He's going to take care of your needs. Which I think these things, when he says, and these things will be added to you, surely they include our daily bread, right? And the forgiveness of sins. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who who sin against us, and also for victory over temptations and trials. And that's the essence of do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so again, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and guess what? These things, your daily bread, the forgiveness you need, and the protection you need, he'll provide. A.W. Pink said it well. He said, quote, how clearly then is the fundamental duty in prayer here set forth? Self and all its needs must be given a secondary place, and the Lord freely accorded the preeminence in our thoughts, desires, and supplications. This petition must take the precedence, for the glory of God's great name is the ultimate end of all things. And so ask yourself, what is first and preeminent in your mind, in your heart, when you come to the Lord in prayer? Is it your list of stuff? Or is it a a list of the attributes of God that you want to meditate on and, and, and think about and worship and praise and thank God for all that he's done? I came across a just a wonderful story uh, that was included in, in Philip Graham Ryken's book on the Lord's Prayer. Let me just read it for you because it just warmed my heart and, and really challenged my heart at the same time. It says, the story is told of a wise and benevolent king who was loved and honored by all his subjects. One morning each week, he opened his throne room to the general public. On that morning, he would hear grievances and listen to petitions, making himself available to meet the needs of his people. There was one man who faithfully came to see the king week after week, yet he never bothered the king with a single complaint or request. He simply stood at the back of the throne room, and after a while, this began to puzzle the king. Who was this man who who came every week, and why did he come if not to ask for help? So one day, the king summoned the man to approach his throne and inquired after his business. He said, Your Majesty, when I was a young man, I committed a crime and was sentenced to death. 
Yet as I was dragged through the streets to the gallows, I saw you riding on your horse, and I cried out for mercy. Since I was such a young man, you granted me a royal pardon and commanded me to be released. That is why I come to stand in your presence every week. I do not come to ask for anything. What more could I ask for? You've already given me my life and my freedom. I come only to pay you homage to honor you as your devoted servant. Isn't that beautiful? We are that young man, right, who deserved to die, to be punished for our sin, and yet Christ has given us a royal pardon. And so our heart should simply be just to come into his presence to ask for nothing. What more could we ask for than our salvation, what he's already given, but simply to pay homage to him, to honor him as our devoted as his devoted servant. And Riken goes on, he says, we do the same thing when we pray the Lord's Prayer. We are entering the throne room of our gracious King. There will be time for the rest of our petitions in due course, but we must begin by paying homage to our Heavenly Father, the King. First, we offer him all the awe and reverence that he alone deserves, praising him and adoring him in the beauty of his holiness. It's the song we sang, wasn't it? We worship you now in the beauty of his holiness. And so rather than being so quick to ask God to meet our needs, we need to start our prayers by asking him to fulfill his desires for glory and honor. And I want you to notice something about this this request because it would be very easy to just assume this is 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 more of an assumption or an assertion. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. It almost sounds like a statement at first, right? That we're just simply stating that. But but this is really to be a a petition. Essentially, what Jesus is, is teaching us here is not only to worship God in the beauty of his holiness, but to beg him to glorify himself in all things. And so this is the foundational petition which serves as the basis for everything else we pray. I mean, this is the first thing we should ask for, is for God to be glorified, that his name would be honored and praised and exalted and magnified. And so this this attitude of, of holy reverence and awe for God and his glory should dictate what we pray and should permeate how we pray. So our entire prayer from, from the very beginning all the way to the very end should be permeated with a passion for the glory of God. And that's how it ends. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the what? The glory forever. Amen. Well, that was kind of all background. Just understanding the significance of maybe just not just the statement itself, but the position of the statement. Where it stands in this prayer, it comes first. And so it really, we, we, it's so instructive for us in our prayer life to, to understand hallowed be your name, uh, first and foremost, and it's just it's, it's sheer position in the prayer. This is how we should start our prayers. Every time we open up our mouths, every time we offer a prayer to God, it should start with praising and worshiping and hallowing and, and glorifying the name of God and asking Him to glorify His name. Well, let's get into this phrase a little more in detail. And I'd just like to answer two basic questions tonight. Two questions, okay, which I, I think will just unpack 
this phrase. First of all, I want to answer the question, why do we hallow God's name? Why do we hallow God's name? And I want to focus in on that, that phrase there, your name. And then secondly, I want to talk about how do we hallow God's name? And I want to focus more on that hallowed be and what is that talking about. So let's look first of all at, at why do we hallow God's name. It says, hallowed be your name. What's the big deal with God's name? Well, this is the big deal. God's name represents God. In fact, you could say God's name is God. It represents his nature, his character. It is who he is. It's what he thinks. It's what he does. And, and the phrase, God's name, is used throughout the scriptures as a substitute for God. We don't have time to look at all the passages. You can see it in Deuteronomy 12.5, Deuteronomy 16.2, Psalm 20, verse 1, Micah 4.5. We see God's name used as a substitute for God himself. But turn back to Exodus chapter 34 with me, because I do want you to see one passage that I just think is so profound. Exodus chapter 34, verses 5, 6, and 7. And this is in the context where Moses was up on Mount Sinai, and he was receiving the Ten Commandments, and he was so enthralled with with this interaction with God. This, this, this holy and awesome God that he was interacting with and he was giving him these commands for the nation of Israel to be their guide. And uh, as you know, in Exodus chapter 33, uh, Moses asked the Lord to show him his glory. He said, man, I, 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 I want to I get, I mean, I'm hearing your voice, but I want to see you. Show me your glory. And, uh, of course, God says, you can't see my face because no one can see me and live. But in that very context, um, notice what he says here in, in verse 34. If you remember, he, he, he said, okay, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to put you in, a, in this cleft in the rock, and I'm going to walk by and I'm gonna put, my, put my hand over that cleft so you can't see my front side, but then I'm going to take it away and you're going to see my back side, right? And so this is the glimpse of God's glory that that God gave Moses. And notice this, this it's so profound. Exodus 34, verse 5, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not seeing anything. Are you? Here, Moses wanted to see God. And all he did was what? Hear God. And so when God described himself to Moses, he said, I'm going to show you my glory. You want to see me? He proclaimed a list of his attributes. He simply just proclaimed his names to him. And and he he revealed his attributes to him. And the point is this, that, that all of God's attributes are wrapped up and summed up in the names that he has chosen to give himself. And, and, and the primary name that he gave himself was 
the, the name that was brought up earlier tonight in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when Moses said, hey, listen, God, you're telling me I'm going to go back and talk to the greatest ruler, the most powerful ruler on the planet, Pharaoh, and I'm supposed to go to my people and say, God says to, to let my people go, and, and, and why are they going to believe me? Who should I tell them sent me? In other words, who can I tell them is my boss, right? Where do I get this authority? And he said, just tell them, I am sent you. And that's how God revealed himself when I say, hey, who should I tell him sending me? He said, I am who I am. And again, that is the, where, where we came up with the, 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 the word Yahweh, which really all of God's attributes could be summarized and boiled down into four Hebrew letters, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. And this, this name for God appears 7,000 times, like I mentioned earlier, uh, in the Old Testament. And in most cases, it's translated Lord in capital letters. So as you're reading through your Old Testament and you see, you come across uh, in your English Bible, the word Lord, all caps, that's the word Yahweh. Now, th- this was God's covenant name for uh, His people, and that his people would refer to him as, as Yahweh. And yet they held that name in such high esteem, it's almost, they almost got superstitious about it. They got weirded out about it. And to ensure that they never broke the third commandment, they wouldn't even say Yahweh. They, they would insert the name Adonai in its place. And originally, the, the Hebrew words were really only made up of consonants, the, the, the Y-H-W-H, like I said earlier, but later on in the Middle Ages, the vowel points or, or the vowels were added in, in order to help the Jews properly pronounce the Hebrew language. And so when that happened, the vowels for Adonai were intentionally added to Yahweh so whoever was reading would remember to say Adonai rather than Yahweh. And this word Yahweh combined with Adonai turned into the English pronunciation of Jehovah which, by the way, isn't even a word in the Bible. It was a word that was created by the combination of Yahweh and Adonai together. And so the only person who was ever allowed to utter the name Yahweh was the high priest. And he could only say it once a year on the Day of Atonement. And I think this is also interesting. When the scribes who were responsible for copying the Scriptures, whenever they came to the name Yahweh, they would stop put their pen down, they would go take a ceremonial bath, they would put on clean clothes, and they would come back with an unused pen and then write out the word Yahweh. I mean, that is how they revered the name of God, which was really a reflection of his person. And that's why the title of this message is Revering, not God's name, but Revering God's person. Because his name is simply a reflection of his person, of who he is. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 58, God said, If you're not careful to observe all the words of this law which are written in this book, to fear or reverence this honored and awesome name, the Lord your God, Yahweh, you will be punished. And so you, you, you see why they were so scared uh, to, to actually write or say the name Yahweh, because they, they, they said, Look, we don't want to bring the judgment of God upon us us by not reverencing this, this honored and awesome name. That's how God called his name, that his name was honored. It was awesome. 
Now, we, we know this isn't the only name, Yahweh, that God is referred to by in the Bible. He, he has many different names, and you mentioned a number of them tonight as, during our prayer time. But all the biblical names for God reveal something about His nature or character, His actions, His attributes. Elohim is the creator God. El Elyon is the most high God, the sovereign ruler of, over the universe. El Shaddai uh, means uh, the mighty God, holy one. Jehovah, God is redeemer. Jehovah Jireh, God is provider. Jehovah Rapha, God is healer. Jehovah Shalom, God is our peace. Adonai, God is the Lord, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the Ancient of Days. He's always been, always will be. The Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Shepherd, the Rock, the Hiding Place. These are just a few of the names for God in the Bible. And, and Riken says it so well. He said, quote, God is who his name is because he does what his name says. God is who his name is because he does what his name says. And so God's name deserves to be honored like God himself. And so that answers our first question is, is why do we hallow God's name? Why do we hallow God's name? Because it's who he is. And he does what it says he does. So that's why we should hallow God's name. But the probably more important question is, how do we hallow God's name? How do we hallow God's name? And, and back in, in Matthew chapter 6, we see here it says, Hallowed be your name. What does that hallowed mean? It's kind of an old-fashioned word, right? We don't really use that word. Uh, maybe the only time you, you hear that word is the, the hallowed halls, right, uh, of some institution. Uh, it's probably the only way, reason, way we use it in our culture today. But, but the word hallow literally means to make holy or to treat as holy. In fact, the Greek word that's translated hallowed comes from the, the root hagiazo or hagios, from which we get our English word holy. So this is the, the, the holy word, this hallowed. And so holy means set apart from what is common or run-of-the-mill, or ordinary. It, it describes anything set apart for sacred use, uh, something that's devoted to God's service. And so think of some of the things that are set apart for sacred use. How, how about the nation of Israel? They were hallowed. They were set apart. How about the tabernacle? How about the Sabbath day? How about the, uh, the Holy of Holies? All these things are holy, which literally means to cut or to separate. So to be holy is to be separate or set apart from something. And so the fact that God is holy means that he is both set apart from sin, but he's also set apart from us. And so there's really two aspects of God's holiness. First of all, he's set apart from us. He's set apart from creation. He, and this is this describing his absolute majesty, his uniqueness, his otherworldliness. First Samuel 2.2 says, There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one like him. He's incomparable. And so we need to understand when we come to God in prayer that there is a profound difference between God and us. He's totally different than us. He's completely distinct from us. He's absolutely other than us. He's not on our level. 
And so, so holiness here signifies his absolute incomparability, his absolute inapproachability, his transcendent majesty, how he's infinitely above us and infinitely beyond us, and how there's this infinite distance that separates him from us. Yes, he's our father. Yes, he's our daddy. But in this sense, he is so far away from us. And so when we come before God, we need to keep in mind just how holy or, or separate from us he really is. We need to come to, him with this, come to him with a sense of awe and wonder. And so he's set apart from, from us, from creation, but he's also set apart from sin. He's set apart from corruption. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 says, Your eyes are too holy to look at evil. So God is absolutely free from anything wicked or evil. He's too pure to even look at evil, let alone to do it. He only and always does what is right. He can never do anything wrong. He is untouched. He's unstained by sin. He's perfectly pure without sin. He cannot be tempted to sin, nor does he tempt anyone to sin. He cannot tolerate any kind of sin or evil in his presence. He can never excuse or ignore any sin, no matter how small. He hates sin, and he must punish sin. So again, how should that affect us when we come to the Lord in prayer? We better not come, right, carrying all of our sin and not being ready to deal with it, right? Close on the heels of praising the Lord and exalting the Lord in our prayers should come some confession. I don't know about you, but if I open my prayer time starting to talk about who God is and, and praising him. It's like, it's like what happened to Isaiah in, in Isaiah chapter 6 when he, he saw a vision of the holiness of God. And, and what did he say? Wow, this is cool, man. I'm really glad I got to see this. He says, whoa, I, I, I'm undone. I'm destroyed. I, I'm a man of unclean lips. And he began confessing his sin to the Lord as a natural response. When we see God's holiness, we see our own sinfulness. And so as we approach the holy and awesome God, we need to come with a humble heart of confession and realizing we just can't waltz into his presence living in, living in sin as if he's even going to have an, he's going to give us the time of day. You know, there, there is a sense that, that, that we come as we are, that we, we come into his presence with, with, uh, with uh, sinful hearts and we come confessing and we come to ask him to purify us and to cleanse us. But there's another aspect. You don't just come as you are. You come confessed. You come with clean hands, right, and a pure heart. Isn't that what the psalm says? Who can approach God? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. And so we need to keep this in mind. And so, so I think all this is wrapped up in, in, in understanding this holiness concept, that the hallowed be your name. Holy is, is the one word that's used to describe God more than any other word in the Bible. And I think it's safe to assume then that that is the most important thing God wanted us to know about him, that he is holy. In fact, some theologians have concluded that holiness is the chief attribute of God. In fact, some even suggest that it isn't just one of many attributes, but it is the supreme attribute, that, it, that it's the sum uh, total of all his attributes. It's the, the attribute of attributes or the crown of all, God, of, all, all, all God's attributes. And so practically, you know, what, what do we, when, when we 
ask the Lord, when we petition the Lord, when we, ask, when we request, Lord, hallowed be your name, what are we asking for? What are we asking for when we pray, hallowed be your name? Again, Riken says this. He says, since God is holy and his name is holy, to ask God to make his name holy is simply to ask him to live up to his name. That's well put, isn't it? That's all we're doing. We're just asking him, God, that, that you would live up to your name, that you would show yourself the glorious one that you are. Put on display your glory. We know your glory. We don't make God holy. We don't make his name holy. His name is holy. And so we're just asking him to live up to his name. But not only are we asking that he would live up to his name, but I think we're also asking that we would live up to his name as well. Because whether you realize it or not, as one of his children, right, we are praying now, Father, as one of his children, as, as one who has been adopted into his family, one who is a co-heir with Christ, and Christ is our big brother, if you will, guess what? We bear God's name. Sinclair Ferguson said it well. He said, we're praying here, when we say, hallowed be thy name, that God will be glorified in all things. We're really saying... Lord, may everything I do and say show forth your glory as my Father in heaven, and may all my thoughts be focused on what will bring honor to your name. In other words, I want to be a, an accurate reflection of my daddy. I don't want to do, do anything, say anything that's going to bring shame on my father uh, on, on, or the name of my, or, or my family name. You think about the, the father having that talk with his son before he goes off to college, right? And he sits his son down and says, now listen, son, I want to remind you that you bear our family name, and it stands for something. And so don't take our name anywhere that I wouldn't want you to take it, and don't involve my name in anything I wouldn't do. In the same way, we bear God's name, we, should take, we shouldn't take it anywhere he wouldn't take it, and not involve it in anything he wouldn't want it involved in. In other words, don't blow your testimony when the cleaners wreck your shirt, right? Or the flight's delayed on the runway. Attitude check, right? And everybody else on the plane is complaining, well, what are you going to do? Or when you're all alone traveling and you find yourself in the airport magazine shop and your eyes begin to wander, Right? Or when a ref makes a bad call at your kid's sporting event, right? Keep your cool. Maintain your integrity. And so our prayer should be that, that, that God's glory would be displayed in our lives and that we would never profane his name with our lips or our lives. I think the greatest way that we, we hallow God's name is, is not just to think about it, to meditate on it, or even to pray about it, but to strive to reflect his holiness in our lives. You're familiar with 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy for, what? I am holy. What does that mean? What does it mean to be holy like God is holy? 
I think it means just to be, be conformed to God, to be like Him, to act like Him, to think like Him, to hate what He hates, to love what He loves, to desire what He desires. And so we need to be praying. As we're, as we're praying, hallowed be your name. We're praying that his name would be honored and glorified in general, but also in specific in our own lives, that, Lord, would you glorify yourself through my life as I reflect your glory. And I think that's how we hallow his name the best, when we live our lives in such a way that we are a good representative of him in this world. Like it says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men that they will see your good works and what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. And it says in 1 Peter 2.12, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may be, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. And then uh, 1 Peter 3.15 Sanctify Christ as Lord. Set him apart. There's that same word, the hagios word, the holy word. Set apart, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. And so God's name is hallowed, It's honored, it's glorified, it's magnified when our life attracts others to Him. And it draws them to want to give Him glory and honor. And so ultimately, we don't just want God to be glorified in our lives, but we also want Him to be glorified in the lives of everyone on the planet. We're not just content, Lord, would you glorify yourself in my life, and amen. No, Lord, would you glorify yourself in my life so that you would be glorified in the lives of everyone in my family and everyone in my workplace and everyone in my school and everyone in my cul-de-sac and everyone in my county and everybody in this, in this state and everybody in this country and everybody in this world would glorify you. And so that's really the heart. When we, when we say, hallowed be your name, we want everyone else in the world to know him like we do and give him the honor and the praise that he is so worthy of. I love Psalm 67. Uh, it's a great psalm about the nations praising the Lord. Psalm 67. Just listen. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. And so we pray for God's blessing, not just so we can kind of be a cul-de-sac for God's blessings and it all comes to us. No, we want to be a conduit. We want it just to, God's blessing to pass through us and to be shot out around the world where everyone would come to know the name of the Lord. 
We sang tonight, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues. Did we sing that tonight? Did we? I can't remember. Maybe we cut it out. I'm not sure. We did sing it? But I love the line. To spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy what? Name. Hallowed be your name. That is our passion. Oh, for a thousand tongues. Man, one's not enough. I wish I'd have a thousand of these things, right? So I could have a thousand, instead of just one conversation, I could have a thousand conversations. I could, my, my witnessing potential could be magnified a thousand times to make your name known throughout the earth. You know, at this very moment in the heaven, in heaven, the angels are praising God and they are saying what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And according to Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, that is what we are going to be doing and saying for all eternity. We're going to join in that heavenly choir and we're going to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That Revelation song, we might sing that in heaven. I don't know. And so when you think about that, no part of the Lord's prayer allows us to prepare for and practice more for heaven than this first petition. Hallowed be your name. And whenever we are involved in our prayer, in in worshiping and praising and honoring God and praying for his glory to be known in our lives and in the lives of everyone in this world, we're, we're practicing for heaven. Because it's the only, think about this, in the Lord's Prayer, it's the only request in the Lord's Prayer that we will continue to pray for all eternity. Because we will continue to say, hallowed be your name, hallowed be your name, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We're going to be praying this and singing this and saying this for all eternity. Whereas all the other ones that we're going to learn about from here on out are already going to be fulfilled or no longer applicable. You're not going to have to pray God's kingdom come because it already came. You're not going to have to pray his will be done. It's going to have been done, right? You're not going to have to pray for your daily bread because you're going to have everything you need in heaven, right? You're not going to have to pray, forgive us our debts, our sins, because we're not going to be sinning anymore. And we, we don't need to pray for that God would protect us from the evil one, right? Because we're not going to be tempted anymore. And yet what we will be able to continue to pray is hallowed be your name. I love Psalm 115, verse 1. Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness and because of your truth. And when God was knitting Kelly and my heart together for life and ministry as we were preparing, praying about getting married, and uh, we really, really wanted our wedding ceremony to, to give glory and honor to God. We wanted the focus of everyone there to be on God and not us. And so we made Psalm 115 verse 1 our, our verse that we put out in all of our invitations, not to us. Oh, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory and the honor. And, and uh, we found this song that was, was very appropriate, and we used this as kind of the opening song 
uh, when everyone got, sat down and, and the lights went low and the candles were being lit, uh, we played a song that was called, Not to Us, O Lord. And uh, it's an old song. You may have never even heard it because uh, it's just kind of an obscure song. But I just thought it would serve us well as kind of a closing prayer tonight. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is you can just sit there quietly and just bow your head or you can and just listen or you can actually look. The lyrics are going to come up on the screen. But let's just use this as, as our closing prayer. and make, make this a prayer uh, to the Lord tonight as we just listen to this, this song. Got another one up there? Because that's not it. That's a pretty song, but.